0: Welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of Who Cares, What's the Point? The podcast about the mind for people who think. My name is Saab Johal, your host and producer for the show, and you can follow the show on Twitter at WCWTP, or you can find us and the show notes at WhoCaresWhat'sThePoint.com. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Eva Neely a lecturer at the School of Public Health here at Massey University in Wellington, New Zealand. She has done some groundbreaking research on the social health meanings of food for youth in schools, which is a step away from the usual health-focused approach used when trying to influence outcomes for young people. Join us in our conversation as Eva explains why we should care about her research and who should pay attention to it. Tell me a little bit about um, the backstory for this paper. What got you interested in this uh, topic to start off with?
1: Well, in my um, when I was doing undergraduate and honours studies in health promotion, I um, was rather dissatisfied with the um, rather um, narrow framing and look on young people's um, nutrition and how... Um, it was framed how young people was or were always put in a, um, in a bad light because they don't adhere to the right fruit and vegetable levels and all this, and they're a big risk for our future health. So um, I always felt it was really undermining of young people and very narrow, and it didn't really take into account the whole picture. Um, and then also um, in the literature, one thing I found when I was reading is that is how young people actually em- embody all these health promotion discourses um, and subsequently it makes them feel inadequate. So they, they often, either they resist them or they embody them and then they feel bad about themselves. Um, and really, I think what my overall interest in this and in, in, in my, in my overall research is, is how our um, strong focus on this physical health um, lifestyle approach is, really impacts on health holistically, and I, I think a much better focus for looking at health in um, any population really is, is a more holistic picture. So looking at physical, mental and social health and how these affect each other and how we can actually approach health promotion from more of a ho- holistic empowerment-based um, approach. So I think, you know, reading all those negative stories and seeing these themes emerge in the literature really got me interested in that, um, in that area.
0: So you mentioned this idea of health promotion discourses and the fact that you feel like it's quite narrow and not holistic enough. Mm-hmm. So where did that take you in terms of how you um, designed your research project?
1: Um, well, it really um, took me to, to, as I said, a holistic. I mean, obviously, your personal stance on health um, really has an impact on, on how you how you look at research, as as you would you would know. Um, and I think my, I'm personally someone who loves, um, having people around for dinner, loves making food for others, loves sharing food. And I always just felt like food, you know, obviously it nourishes our bodies and it, you know, better, better nutrition helps nourish our bodies better, but it's, it's, the story doesn't end quite there. Um, and so my personal, um, interest in, and in joy and nutrition from these different health perspectives, um clashed with what I read in the literature um, and I was always just quite interested in, in the concept of a health promoting school of um, you know I've got quite a social determinants perspective of health that that it's not up to individual choice always t- to make the right health choices and then not everyone can and wants to make those choices that we pres- you know that health promoters prescribe are the right choices um, and I and so I guess I just kind of you know re- started reading and Reading and reading, and that you know that first year of your PhD is is pretty much what you do, and it just takes you into all these, opens up all these areas, and really showed me that um, there are some good approaches, but the, the sort of the mainstream nutrition literature um, is really really focused on just getting young people to eat the right nutrients, um, rather than looking at it a bit more holistically.
0: So, yeah, you mentioned the the social determinants of health approach and how that, um, you know, when you look at uh, food through that lens, you know, certain things are not really available perhaps because of your um, level of um, your socioeconomic position, you know, you can't afford or you just don't have the access because of your position rurally, you can't access good food. Uh Um, So you talked about that. That's really interesting. But you also talked a little bit about, your ideas about the meaning of food, particularly in your home, mm-hmm. and I guess that that's something that you identified is that we don't know perhaps enough about the meaning of food and um, that ritual of food in a school environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. We know a little bit, I guess, about younger children, but I, I guess it's noticeable that um, the age group that you choose to study here is is not particularly young.
1: No, no, and I think um, I think one one thing that's that's really um, important is that well, one thing I found when I was looking at the literature, and um, if you you know throughout my in my thesis, uh, rather than a pure literature review, I did a bit of a thematic synthesis because there was actually no real literature that that looked at young people and their social health in terms of nutrition. Um, I found things from anthropology. and and so on from other fields that don't really look at health in the same way health promotion does um and it was actually really interesting that there was not one single study I found that looked at looked at it in that way as I did so hence I, I I took on a sort of a thematic synthesis approach to the literature to look at other people's data with my lens on it because there was so little available on on that kind of perspective and you're right um of course, when children are younger, there's a much bigger parental involvement in, in their nutrition than, than when they're when they're older, and um, so so it's a lot more, um, I guess, youth centred and um, and less parental involvement when, when they get a bit older. Um, and yeah, that there, there is there was not much available in that area.
0: So it's not just physical uh, in terms of the outcomes. There are social outcomes as well it's not just about nutrition um, because the meaning of food is very different according to where you're coming from with that. And sometimes nutrition is not a particularly helpful way of talking about food because it's very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, And also you've also identified that um, for a younger age group, the parent has quite a lot of influence around food, but as people get older, then that changes somewhat.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, Tell me what you did, and um, tell us about the sorts of social, out, uh, social uh, interesting findings in, in that sphere um, that mm-hmm. you found.
1: Well, I um, so when I was exploring how to how to approach this this topic, and I was reading about different different ideas, um, I came across. And as health promoters, we we do praise ourselves on being quite um, interdisciplinary, so taking on approaches from different uh, disciplines. And um, reading through ethnographic, sort of anthropological research, I really found that the approach of being with people and being able to observe their practices and um, being able to build relationships seemed like a really um, useful approach, so I started reading further on it, and it actually, besides being a fantastic approach to explore what I wanted to explore, which was social food practices, which you can't just ask someone about the everyday rituals because it's quite reflective and you know a lot of these rituals and how we interact in everyday are very um tacit so you don't really think about them they, you know they're ingrained in our culture and how we how we practice so being on site somewhere where i could observe these and in a sort of you know re- re- repeatedly throughout throughout a school year seemed like a really good approach to take but the sort of the second aspect of that approach was also that I was able to be with the young people, understand their, understand their perspectives, build relationships, build trust. Um, and they opened up in such a different way to me, I think, um, because they got to know me and they felt valued because they, they felt like I was actually spending time with them to understand what, what their um, – what their perspectives were and so on. So I think the approach of actually then going into the school um, was fantastic and I ended up spending a whole school year um, in a secondary school um, with students and the recruitment was, um, you know, I had to approach a few schools. So I did end up in an in in only girls' school, um, which of course limits my findings to that particular cohort, but it was um, – a fantastic opportunity to get and actually in a girls school there was lots going on with food so it was very interesting and so I ended up a whole school year I spent um from February to November I spent the whole year in the school at the beginning I went five days a week um and sort of from term three and, and term four I, I was more like um three three days a week and I spent most of my day there I um recruited I asked around all teachers um and of Year 13, so the, just briefly, the reason I, I recruited Year 13s was, for one, that um, they're 16 and older, which means I only need to get consent from students, so it was quite a practical a practical thing there. Um, I didn't need to approach all the parents as well. Um, and then also, in Year 13, there's no school uniform in New Zealand, so um, me being amongst those students, I didn't really, um, you know, didn't appear totally unsuited um and because I was you know I wasn't markedly markedly older than than the students so um I kind of blended in a little bit more than if I were you know older and in a different uniform to them so um that was sort of my my reason I chose to to go with year 13 students um which is the last year of school in in New Zealand and um Then I just I went to classes. I I had four subjects I went to with different students. Some of the students doubled up in some of my classes and I sat I sat in with the students. I got to know them. I went to their lessons and the lessons were sometimes interesting and they were later in the year they were quite interesting because a lot of shared lunches happened and these kind of things in in the lessons. But they were at the beginning they were just for rapport building, just for because if you're sitting in the lesson, you get up with the other students, then they invite you to lunch or they invite you to come to their groups. And that was sort of the main reason for, for going to the lessons at the beginning. Um, so, so, and so, so I just...
0: Sorry, yeah. sorry, just to um, interject there. So sitting yeah. in through all those lessons uh, for that long period of time, it sounds like a pretty immersive experience that um, you were involved in.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and it was. And I think partially... I also chose this knowing that after this, if I if I do get into the academic job as, as I had hoped, I will probably never have that time again to dedicate um, to to a research project. Um, and so I made the most of having um, three years to just delve into one big research project, and decided that you know such a time intensive research would would be really good. And um, I don't think I'd ever have that time again, but I do think um, even with less time and time investment um one could still get some of those benefits back through through actually spending time with with your target group or your the group you're looking at
0: so in that time that you were spending um with these year 13 16 plus year olds um and mm-hmm. then eventually getting invitations to go to lunch with them mm-hmm. um what were the sorts of things that uh, what were the sorts of stories that you were hearing
1: um quite different uh, quite different a lot of their um You know, typical things you'd think 16-year-olds are interested in, um, from boys to things going on at school to other girls to other groups. It was interesting seeing dynamics of, um, you know, different group dynamics where someone was part of that group and this year they weren't part of that group and all those sort of – a lot of of relationship-based issues, I think. And relationships, I think, would – seem to me as one of the main things that matter to young people um, where they stand who are their friends because those do really seem their, their, their primary support people during that you know quite vulnerable period um, and so I think those emerge as as key things in, in their talk and as I happily then of course observe food um, emerged in, in these practices as something something quite noticeable sometimes when people even in a mood of or you know having a fight and they didn't offer that person as part of the group when they were sharing food around and all these little little things that you'd only really pick up if, if you'd observe, because no one would really tell you about those things happening Sure. Um, yeah
0: so t- tell me more about how um, food and food rituals then mapped on to these um, relationships both within the school and perhaps outside of the school as well
1: yeah. yeah, So if you, I mean, if you look at that paper, those were sort of um, I, I had I had three key kind of rituals that I, I was able to put into into themes or groupings, as as you would say, um, throughout. And the the way I kind of saw it is they were used to build, maintain, and regulate relationships. So um, initially, I, I read you know, and I personally felt that. That initially it was a bit more reserved with me being around but then they kind of broke the ice by offering me some food and then you were kind of part of that group when you're sort of you know you're you're in that circle you're offered food the girls were really big on sharing sharing food when they had it um, the school was an urban school so and in year 13 you're allowed to leave the school during your breaks so and they had a supermarket and various other food places right around the corner so it was it was quite a, quite a common thing to go out for lunch and so that um I think was it the first theme um first theme was to actually uh what was it called ritualized um can't find it now oh, ritualized walk oh yeah lunch walk I called it um, and it was about um asking others if they'd come out to, to go and get some lunch and it wasn't always that that person needed to buy lunch but it was that ritual of walking with a few friends that it wasn't really a thing you wanted to do by yourself you didn't just go out it wasn't the it wasn't just the practicality of getting something to eat it was more the social thing of linking up with others and going for a walk to get some food um, sometimes that person said I don't want anything and then they just um, convinced them by saying oh I'll just get this and we'll share it um, obviously money played a bit of a role some girls had a bit more than others so those things were often kind of regulated by offering them um, something of, of what they had or um, yeah so the, the walking was the, the actual act of walking to get something to eat was much more central than just practically you know getting something to eat um, and then also that ritualised sharing as I was talking about before is how they just it's part of their group group dynamic when someone, somebody has something to, to share that food with them or bring even stuff explicitly to share with others. Um, and gifting food was also quite a big thing. There was often girls that made cupcakes to bring and share with others or they made something for someone's birthday. Um, and these were all sort of really ingrained practices that, that linked onto their relationships or were used as tools within these relationships um, with other pe- with other girls. Um and the majority of those things I didn't get through my interviews that I also did with the students, but through just being there and observing these practices because they're, you know, so ingrained in how we just do our everyday life.
0: So the interviews got you so far, but actually being there and observing and having an established long term relationship with this group of students just enabled you to see so much more.
1: Yes, yes it did. And sometimes I did I started the interviews a bit later in the year, I didn't do them immediately. And because um, some of the some of the girls I didn't know that well, but some of them I knew quite well, and I could um, actually also ask them about things when things had happened or how they felt about that because I'd observed and taken note of it, and I could then draw on draw on these um, events or practices later on in the interviews. So I was able to get out a little bit more through that, but only again because I had had been there. Um, previously, to, to pick up on on those things, and I think my results would have been quite different and definitely less in depth if I'd gone into a school just to do interviews.
0: So, Eva, here's the tricky part. Then, so you've got these three themes that you've, you've identified: one around that kind of lunch walk, um, and that being um, something separate other than food, but actually being you know getting from A to B with perhaps a group of other people that you've invited along. Uh, this idea of ritualised sharing and this idea of being able to gift food as well. Um, so who should who should care about the findings and and what are the um, wh- why is it relevant? What, what what's the point of this?
1: Well, I think I think there's there's two 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 messages. Um, one more immediate one surrounding the food aspect, but I think the overall message is for health promoters and for people working in schools. Be it health promotion or you know teachers or people working with with young people, is to really be aware of, of our agenda um, when we are trying to do good for young people when we're trying to promote things for young people, and not starting with um, epidemiology as a starting point, but with young people's perspectives and young people's problems um, and their issues. And I think um, approaching it through that, we can of course bring in some of some of our agenda. But I think letting them speak, making sure we know what's important to them and not undermine their opinions um, when they tell us what what it is. Because that was one really strong thing too. I'll just bring in people often said, yeah, they ask us for our voice, but then they don't really do anything with Mm. that voice. So that sort of tokenism of, of, you know, here's young people's voices, but really we don't do anything about, you know, we don't act on this. So really actually... Taking you know taking action on what what they what they tell us, um, is is really really key I think, and um, so I think on the on the on the overall big picture, this research will kind of say um, when you're working with young people, be it in any you know any setting really not not just schools but with young people around any health related topics, is listen to what's important to them in their lives. Um, young people know what's healthy and what's not healthy most you know and I, I don't think we should stop making people aware of what's healthy and what's unhealthy but um, I think this overarching healthism agenda really delineates young people um, it really makes them either feel like they you know either it goes the way that they resist it and do the opposite just because they know it's not what's what they're not supposed to be doing which you know is part of the job of a teenager but then the other part is also that it infuses guilt with young people every time, you know, and with, I think really with our rising numbers of eating disorders, it's, it's really concerning to think about how little girls even already are starting to think about what they eat and what their weight is. And I think we really need to wonder if this obesity discourse is the right way we want to go. I think there's all a, I'm all about a positive discourse on nutritious food and good food that nourishes our bodies and, and our minds and our social lives and good physical activity but really you know I think in the bigger picture which I think is quite dear to me and in, in, my, in my other research as well is that we shouldn't um, this weight focus and this relating weight to, to, um, to health is really damaging especially to young people especially to young girls in these vulnerable years which then sets them up for the rest of their adult lives. Is that they're worrying about a number on a scale, or worrying about what they're eating, and always feeling bad. And the thing is, they end up eating these things, and they feel bad about it. So it just induces guilt rather than trying to focus on a positive, balanced diet. Um, so I think starting with young people's um, young people's voices, their opinions on things, and really, you know. Getting a sense of what it is for them in their in their lives, I think um, not every researcher will be able to dedicate a year to to spend with their with their you know, with their group of people they're wanting to work with. But I think you can achieve that even by just spending some some time, some a few days a week or a day a week for a few weeks. I'm um, showing them that you are really interested in them as as what what's important to them and um, taking on those observations and being open to, to, to their opinions on this. I think that's that's really important. And um, another thing is I think for a lot of people in health promotion is to think about, you know, this health promotion, mental health promotion, but really I think it's a big package. We, we, we're people, we, we have physical, mental and social health needs, and I think it's really important to think about these in a, in a whole picture to weigh up. If whenever we're doing an intervention or trying to improve something, how does this impact on the whole, the whole holistic picture picture of health um, when we're doing these things? Because we we want to make sure all those areas are being nourished and um, grow forward from this. So um, I th- I think those would would be the key messages I have taken away from it, and I'd hope um, readers would. Um, you know, and specifically in this paper, of course, shows how, how important it just is to, to, to observe people in their everyday lives as well.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this eighth show in this first season of Who Cares, What's the Point? You can find out about the abstract and the link to the paper in the show notes to this podcast, or if you come to the website. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at WCWTP or meet your host and producer, Saab Johal, at Saab. I hope you've enjoyed the show. This week, please send feedback through the usual channels, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or via email, contact at who cares what's the point? It would be great to hear from you. Until then, see you next week on Who oh, Cares What's the Point?